Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of September 2010. And I always get the, 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 the big annoying part over rather than hit you all the way through the show for donations or buying the books and so on. So I get it off the, the plate first right to you and I advise you to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. There's hundreds of audios for download for free. Help yourself to them. And uh, I try and give you the shortcuts to the big picture of understanding the world. If you would take your whole lifetime trying to find out what's going on, you need uh, quite a few thousand lifetimes, in fact, because one is not enough. All we can do is pick up the clues that are left out there by the big boys themselves when they've been rather untidy in days gone by. And so go into the website and to say, help yourself to the audios. You'll see the books I've got for sale and the discs and so on. Uh, that's what keeps me ticking over. It's up to you to purchase them. Uh, they're different from usual history books that uh, give you, you know, names and dates and battles and uh, generals and that kind of stuff. I go into the ancient um, system up to the present and show you the chronology, as I call it, chronology of the techniques that are used upon all societies from the earliest civilizations. Civilizations really is a very interesting term from city. And once you're crammed in a city, you must live in an artificial system. And those who own the city and rule the money, there's always a money system for a city because you can't grow anything or raise cattle and so on in a city. Uh, therefore, you become sort of shark-like and you're too busy scrounging for cash to pay your taxes and buy your meager substance uh, to worry about really what's happening. And it hasn't really changed till this day. So purchase the books. Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can buy them uh, with a cash, to send cash if you want, through the mail. It gets here. Uh, you can get um, use a personal check from the U.S. to Canada. You can use an international postal money order to Canada from your post office. You can also use PayPal to donate or to purchase. It's up to you. Um, if you want to purchase through PayPal, just send a separate email after the donation from PayPal, and I'll get it out to you. Put your name, address, and the order on the email to me. Same across the rest of the world with the uh, inclusion of Western Union, although I don't really um, push that because they're quite hefty for a fee to transfer wire. It's so easy to do, and they charge so much. MoneyGram's a bit cheaper for those who can get MoneyGram. And uh, you can also use PayPal, remember, to donate or to purchase. Um, you can send cash as well from other countries, too. They're still cashing it over here so far. So that's that pretty well over with. But you got to help me out, as I say. And donations themselves uh, are really appreciated. Believe you me, it's, it's more, more the donations here and there that add up and help me to pay the bills for the satellite uploads and all the rest of the stuff that I have to pay for here, just for this one-hour show. And this is not a business. It's not a business. If it was, if I needed the cash or a business, I'd be off doing something where I'd make money. And uh, I do have 
there's certainly opportunities to do that. The alternative is to bring on guests who really are there to sell something, and you listen to an hour of advertising, and that really isn't quite um, quite right either, if you know in my book, because um, why listen to an hour's advertising, get scared, and then get offered the solution? That's the standard technique of advertising. The ads you hear on the show are paid by advertisers to RBN to broadcast the show, pays for their airtime, pays for their staff and equipment and their bills. And uh, it's got nothing to do with me. So this gives me a freer hand to say different things I want to say, or if I'm asked a question, I can answer it more truthfully, and um, I'm not compromised. Now, the music's coming in, so we'll be back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. It's amazing, you know, how old the idea of money is. Before it was even coined, around 800 BC or so, they weighed it and did different techniques. Some of it was just the, the, the gold dust, some of it was, was very basic as ore, even in ancient times. And sometimes it was made as a bracelet that, that's wound round your arm, around and around and around it. And they'd cut off little pieces of it and weigh them. Uh, as you paid your way along trade routes and paid off the, the the gangs that would stalk you along the way, because wherever there's money, there's always corruption. Uh, it goes hand in hand with it. But, but along with money, you see, you need commerce. The two, again, go hand in hand. If you look at primitive societies, as they're called, uh, and I think it's an unwarranted term, um, they're, they're generally completely, truly self-sustainable. Um, these so-called primitive societies uh, don't really go in for commerce much. They make their own tools, they make everything they need, and they're completely independent of the system. And that is why, of course, the big boys hate them so much and call them primitive. Uh, they're, they're not under the slavery system that we are all under here. We're born into it, of course, as I say. Uh, many, many ge- generations uh, have been born into the same corrupt system. And it simply gets more and more corrupt. But it isn't really just corruption, uh, sort of willy-nilly and guys helping themselves to the big pot. It's also a directed corruption because it's the new world order, as they call it. It's a, a total control of every single individual across the entire planet, done under the guise of helping people. Whenever these guys come and say they want to help the third world, the third world should really arm themselves to the teeth because they're going to take away every... A bit of ability you have to be independent and live and survive during the good times or bad times, especially the bad times. You'll be completely dependent on them for everything you need for, for, for food and even the water because water will be owned by uh, the UN eventually. Uh, that will sort of be the arbiter for the private corporations which will own the entire world's water supply. And I'm not kidding about that. It's all been talked about at the top. So, it all runs on money, as I say. Money is the key. Money, we don't work for our food. We don't work for things we really need so much. We, we work for money to buy the food, to pay the rents, to, to pay all the, the taxes, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, that's the real system we live on under. And there's more corporate welfare out there than there's general welfare. Folk forget we just bailed out banks not long ago there for trillions of dollars and trillions of pounds. Still ongoing. And these are cash gifts from you to them. 
uh, again, brokered by our governments that work for the big bankers. And there's no doubt about that. They all work together, the top CEOs. If you look at most of the top politicians, they've all been CEOs of big corporations, and they go in and out of these seats, as they call them, and into politics for a few years, then back in again and get handsomely paid for all the laws they introduced to help their big businesses when they were in politics. Standard story. But here's a politician in Britain who has come forward with the right kind of thing. I don't know if how far it will get, probably get shot down, as they say, when a bill is introduced. However, it says Douglas Carswell, who's a member of Parliament in Britain, introduces a bill to stop the fractional reserve banking. And it's a well-written article, I guess. The, the guy really wrote his um, speech up to present it in the House of Commons, as you say, and then it goes to the House of Lords. The commoners is for the commoners, and once you've really screwed the public, you get put up to the House of Lords. Anyway, it says here, Mr. Douglas Carswell from Clacton, it says, uh, he put in his, what they call a move, the move movement. Movement isn't going to the toilet there. Sometimes it is, but it's, but it's actually to put forward a bill. So they call it a move. This is, um, uh, that leads me to, to, to be given, let leave be given to bring in a bill to prohibit banks and building societies lending on the basis of demand deposits without the permission of the account holder and for connected purposes. He says, demand deposits are bank account deposits that can be withdrawn on demand. You don't need to give any notice before demanding your money back, for example. Who owns the money in your bank account? That small question has profound implications. According to a survey by Ipsos, M-O-R-I, more than 70% of people in the UK believe that when they deposit money with the bank, it is still theirs, but it's not. Money deposited in a bank account is, as established under a case law, going back more than 200 years, that's when the Rothschilds took over, legally is the property of the bank rather than the account holder. Where any honourable member, that's what they call the politicians here, I don't know where the honourable part comes in, but anyway, if any member comes to deposit £100 at their bank this afternoon, or rather improbably, if the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority was to manage to do so on any member's behalf, the bank would then be free to lend an approximately £97 of it out. As soon as you put 100 in, they lend 97 pounds of that out, even though that should still be kept for the guy that deposited it, right? Even under the new capital uh, ratio requirements, the bank could lend on more than 90% of what one deposited. Indeed, Bank A could then lend 97% or 97 pounds of the initial 100 pound deposit to another bank, Bank B, which could then lend on 97% of the value. The lending would go round and round until, as we saw at the height of the credit boom, for every one Pound deposited banks would have piled up more than forty pounds worth of accumulated credit of one form or another. Banks enjoy a form of legal privileges privilege extended to no other area of business that I am aware of. It's a form of legal privilege. I'm sure that some honourable members in full compliance with the IPSA rules may have rented a flat as an apartment and they do not need me or indeed the IPSA to explain that having done so, they are in general not allowed to sublet it to someone else. That's the rules. That's their law, you see. Anyone who tried to do that would find that the landlord would most likely eject them. So why are banks allowed to sublet people's money many times over without their consent? And they give you nothing back, right? 
It says, my bill would give account holders legal ownership of their deposits unless they indicated otherwise when opening the accounts. In other words, there would henceforth be two categories of bank accounts, deposit-taking accounts for investment purposes and deposit-taking accounts for storage purposes. This is the system recommended by proposals such as Irving Fisher's 100% money solution and the modern full reserve banking proposal. And to give you a link here to go and read all of that, uh, the Bank of EnglandAxe.co.uk. But he says then, banks would remain at liberty to lend on money deposited in investment accounts. That's when you go into a bank and they ask you if you want to open an investment account. That gives them permission to go out and invest that cash of yours. You get a little dribble back, not much, but they invest it and they get a lot back. It says, but not on money deposited in the storage account. That's like a savings account. As such, the idea is not a million miles away from the idea of 100% guilt-backed storage accounts proposed by other honourable members and the Governor of the Bank of England. It says here, uh, My bill is not just a consumer protection measure. It also aims to remove a curious legal exemption for banks that has profound implications on the whole economy. This is the same, by the way, in every country, the same system. Precisely because they are able to treat one's deposit as an investment in a giant credit pyramid, banks are able to conjure up the credit. In most industries, when demand rises, businesses produce more in response. The legal privilege extended to banks prevents that basic market mechanism from working with disastrous consequences. As he explains, if the market mechanism worked as it should, once demand for credit started to increase in the economy, banks would raise the price of credit, which are interest rates, in order to encourage more savings. More folk would save as a result as rates rose. That would allow banks to extend credit in proportion to savings. Where banks, like any other business, they would find that when demand for what they supply lets rip, they would be constrained in their ability to supply credit by the pricing mechanism. In other words, you wouldn't, they wouldn't keep doing and creating money out of nothing, and then end up in a bubble that pops. It says, that is, alas, not the case with our system of fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve just means they only have to give you a tiny percentage of what you deposit. They lend the rest out. Able to treat people's money as their own, banks can carry on lending against it without necessarily raising the price of credit. The pricing mechanism does not rein in the growth in credit as it should. Unrestrained by the pricing mechanism, we therefore get credit bubbles. To satisfy runaway demand for credit, banks produce great candy floss piles of the stuff. The sugar rush feels great for a while, but that sugar rush credit creates an expansion in capacity in the economy that's not backed by real savings. It is not justified in terms of someone else's deferred consumption, so the credit boom creates unsustainable overconsumption. Policymakers, not least in this chamber, regardless of who has been in office, have had to face the unenviable choice between letting the edifice of crony capitalism come crashing down with calamitous consequences for the rest of us, or printing more real money to shore up this Ponzi scheme and the people who built it, and in doing so, devalue our currency to keep the pyramid afloat, which is what every country has done since the crash. Since the credit crunch hit us, an endless succession of economists, most of whom did not see it coming, have popped up on our TV screens to explain its causes with great authority. Most have tended to see the lack of credit as a problem rather than as a symptom. People we, we sh- uh, should instead begin to listen to are those economists who, show, who saw the credit uh, glut that preceded the crash as the problem, such as the Cobden Center, the, the Ludwig van Mises Institute, 
and Huerta de Soto all grasped the overproduction of bogus candy floss credit before the crunch gave rise to it. It's time to take seriously their ideas on honest money and sound banking. Then he goes on to the, the big communist one, the, the Keynesian monetarist economists. I mean, that's, I mean, Keynes was all about that. Keynes would work for the big boys. And true socialism, true socialism is Nazi-ish, you see. They don't believe in the people having rights. They believe that the elite should run the world. That's why they're in with the bankers. And, and, and Keynes basically had not a good word for the ordinary working people. It says the Keynesian monetarist economists might recall in horror the idea because their orthodoxy holds that without these legal privileges for banks, there would be insufficient credit. They say that the oil that keeps the engine of capitalism working would dry up and the machine would grind to a halt, but that's not so. Under my bill, credit would still exist, but it would be credit backed by savings, by real savings. In other words, it would be credit that could fuel an expansion in economic capacity that was commensurate with savings or deferred consumption. It would be, to use a cliché of her day, sustainable. So it goes on and on and on and explains and explains and explains it. However, it's quite simple. Uh, whenever you put your cash in the bank, uh, they immediately loan most of it out and keep a few pennies in reserve. And uh, and that's what they've been doing with the last crunch too. They were lending to other banks that money you just put in, and then they'd lend that out too, a 90-odd percent of it, and um, they had nothing to back anything with when the bubble came down. So we end up paying it all. Uh, but that's what we're here for. We're slaves, you see under this economic system. So this has had its second reading, as I say, in Parliament. I don't know what will happen. Uh, probably nothing, but um, at least it shows you that some of them know. It's, it's been kind of voiced, it's been legalized, it's been n- noticed, you might say, that some people know what's going on, which is rather unique for Parliament, isn't it? Now, <laughs> another con that's gone on too is the big move by the big boys and their pyramid. They have a capstone in their pyramid that guides the world and through IBM and all the big think tanks and so on and the foundations. And we've heard of all their con games. Remember they came up with the idea of using the climate, catastrophes in the climate at the Club of Rome in order to, to control the world and guess they cut consumption and get into these sustainable areas, which really means prison camps. Um that we wouldn't be able to move out of. You see, any totalitarian system that's existed in the past, you can't have uh, access of movement, free access of movement. You must be contained in an area. And that is coming. That is coming, step by step, under homeland security. And the same homeland security is in every country under different names. They're pushing the same things because they've all signed the same treaties with the United Nations. Agenda 21, the Millennium Project and many other names for the same thing. So they've scared us with all this nonsense, and it's always bogus claims that they make. And I've read the bogus claims, too, from the guys who make them, saying that they have to put out scary scenarios or no one will listen to them. So they lie. Anyway, it says here in this article from The Telegraph, the United Nations climate change claims on the rainforest were wrong, a study suggests. The United Nations Climate Change Panel is facing fresh criticism after new research contradicted the organization's claims about the devastating effect climate change could have on the Amazon rainforest. I love all these coulds and stuff. You could say, well, Mars will crash into Earth. You know, it could, you know, it could happen, you know. Um, it says, um, your climate change uh, claims on rainforest were wrong, this suggests. And the new study funded by NASA 
is found out in the most serious drought in the Amazon for more than a century had little impact on the rainforest vegetation. The new study funded by NASA, that's your tax money of course, has found that the most serious drought in the Amazon for more than a century had little impact on the, the forest vegetation. The findings appear to disprove claims by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that up to 40% of the Amazon's rainforest could react drastically to even a small reduction in rainfall and could see the trees replaced by tropical grassland. That was the big scary part. And um, it says the IPCC has already faced intense criticism for using a report by Environmental Lobby Group, the World Wildlife Fund, that's that's, uh, uh, the Queen's hubby and all these characters, as the basis for its claim, which in turn had failed to cite the original source of the research. They never do, of course. They even get students to write stuff. Scientists have now spoken out against the 40% figure contained in the IPCC report and say that that recent research is suggesting the rainforest may be more resilient to climate change than had been previously thought. It comes just two days after the UN announced an independent review into the panel's procedures following a series of scandals over its most recent lies, or sorry, reports, which were found to contain factual errors and claims which were not based on rigorous scientific research. Well, no kidding, eh? What's this? We've got to put up scary scenarios or the public won't believe us. <laughs> It says here, the Inter-Academy Council, which is the umbrella organization for the National Academies of Science around the world, will examine how the IPCC's reports are compiled and communicated. Dr. Jose Marengo, a climate scientist with the Brazilian National Institute for Space Research and member of the IPCC, said the latest study on the Amazon's response to drought highlighted the, the variations on the previous claims. So, there you go, you know, it's uh, it's on and on. But remember what the, the final intent is, that you can own nothing on this world. Uh, it will all be in, in uh, stewardship, be under the stewardship of the big boys and the big corporations themselves. Remember, too, the UN is a corporation. That's how it's registered, by the way. So it's all a con to get us into the sustainable development, austerity programs, as you toss your money across the, the world, that's redistribution of wealth, to make sure that they can eat and, and all the rest of it. For an example for that, for instance, the U.S. has no idea how money they're shell- much money they're shelling out. See, me, Britain and all the countries that got hit with the crash, the planned crash, and it was planned, by the way, and um, they're throwing out money under the new prosperity schemes for the rest of the planet. And that's, of course, right from the Communist Manifesto. And it says here, uh, Clinton to unveil U.S. funds for clean cook stove push. This is only one of many uh, or programs that you're paying for right now across the world. I read some articles two or three weeks ago where the U.S. is paying for tuition for teachers and schools in China. as a rake in trillions of bucks because they're the only producers in the world now. And India and elsewhere across the globe. And, and healthcare too, by the way, for China. Yeah. You're paying for that as they, as they cut yours back here. <laughs> anyway, it says New York, September 21st, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton will announce on Tuesday a U.S. contribution of more than $50 million towards providing clean cooking stoves in developing countries to reduce deaths from smoke inhalation and fight climate change. Oh, they always tack that on, eh? They're going to fight climate change. The U.S. funding, which was spread over five years as part of a global alliance for clean cook stoves, they've got, they've got a thousand projects on the go, all with your tax money. 
for across the world, but not for home. This is being started to combat a problem officials equate with malaria and unclean water in terms of their health impact worldwide. Some 1.9 million premature deaths, and they go through the usual rubbish and, and pulling numbers out of the air and all the rest of it, will be, will be gone. Smoke from such cooking methods can lead to children to pneumonia, lung cancer, bronchitis, and cardiovascular disease, while con- contributing to climate change through emissions of carbon dioxide and methane, two major greenhouse gases, and black carbon. Oh, black carbon. Oh. Then you realize, <laughs> to con- you ever watch the, the forestry commissions? You know, the Department of Forestry uh, doing a controlled burn. They did it out in British Columbia a few years ago in conjunction with Washington State. And the two were to meet somewhere. And this fire got out of hand and burned, I think, for three years. And uh, millions of acres, I think, were just burned to the ground. Black, there's black carbon everywhere. And that smoke was up in the air. And no one said anything about this pollution. that they co- See, when government does it, it's, it's holy smoke, you understand? It's holy smoke. But when you do it, oh, it's nasty smoke. It's bad smoke, evil smoke. And you're going to pay for that, you see. So anyway, there you go. It says here, the new alliance to combat the issue groups, U.S. government agencies with the, uh, groups the U.S. government agencies with the United Nations Foundation, Germany, Peru, Norway, and the World Health Organization, and corporate backers, including Morgan Stanley and Shell, amongst others, who no doubt will also be the guys who own the shares to the companies that are making all the stoves. This is something that touches on climate and health and women's empowerment. Oh, this is Hillary. She gets off with that all the time. The only, the only time she picked anything off a cook stove was to throw it bill. Anyway, it says here, on deforestation and poverty. Oh, God, that's enough of that guff anyway. I call this stuff guff because... Uh, it really gets to you. All this PC prattle that comes out of think tanks, you know, these little phrases that are put out there by the marketers for them to spew you out at us. Now, as all that's happening and we're paying for the third world to have these wonderful cook stoves, um, of course, you're, you're going to get your, your, your electricity cut back at home and your gas supplies, you're going to pay it go through the roof and all the rest of it. There's people in Canada terrified of this year coming because the oil prices go up every year, the ones who, who use oil for heating. But they won't get any help from the third world or the UN, uh, but they'll certainly will pay out to make sure they have cook stoves across the world. Now, the music's coming in, and I'll read, I'll read what they're doing now as they sell off their countries. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. We're cutting through the matrix. Talking about uh, the farce of the world, there's a big agenda, steamrolls ahead, and they keep repeating the same terms to, to embed them in your brain until you think that carbon footprints and all that stuff is really real. Uh, you have no idea how much money they paid marketers to come up with ideas of these particular little terms. You see, to try to, to make something into a physical picture that is embedded in your brain, and it's all bogus, utterly bogus, but it's to bring you into a new form of slavery, you see, or call austerity, where you will have no more spending money to purchase things that you want or extras. You'll spend it all on fees and carbon taxes like good little slaves should. Now, 
this article here is how about uh, how far they're going now with uh, the, the assets of countries and cities. Remember, you, your tax money, when it, your, your property tax monies, for instance, uh, were all put in there with the usual intention of saying, well, we'll give you certain services and all that kind of stuff. And, and folk will say, okay, okay, they're kind of unsure, but they go for it. And, of course, the whole idea is to create big infrastructure, big roads, um, power stations, that kind of stuff. Um, your water supply systems, uh, all of those things are paid for by the taxpayers' money, and they keep it kind of uh, nationalized to the extent it's still owned technically by the, tax, tax, the taxpayers. And then, of course, the idea is once they've perfected the system, they sell it off privately for a few pennies to their bosses, to their boys, you know, their big boys. That's the standard thing they've done all over the world. Well, now they've got the New World Order in, now they've got, they've got countries amalgamated totally under a super government, so far away, away from them it should be in Timbuktu, because make no difference how far away it is once you're, once you're out of sight of reach. That is getting to an, a politician. If you want a politician uh, to complain about what's happening, you have to go over to Europe, cap in hand, and, and hope, that you, hope that, really, I mean really hope you'll get to see one, because you probably won't. So people in Britain here, uh, Birmingham could put the city assets up for sale. Now, I'll put links up for all these articles at the end of the show. Remember, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So they're going to put the city assets up for sale. This is Birmingham uh, uh, council leaders who are hoping to uh, plug a budget hole, a, a budget hole, it's a bottomless pit, by selling some of the billions of pounds of property assets owned by Britain's second city are in talks with Middle East sovereign funds. The National Exhibition Centre, Britain's biggest exhibition venue, prime real estate and a stake in Birmingham Airport could all be up for grabs, councillors said, as they look to fund large capital projects at a time when the national government is demanding deep spending cuts. You see how it all works together, eh? it's beautiful. Mike Whitby, the leader of Birmingham City Council, which represents over a million people and describes itself as Europe's biggest local authority, said he has been approached by sovereign wealth funds and was talking with the Abu Dhabi government as he tried to forge, forge closer ties. I love this close, forging closer ties with the Middle East until you're joined at the hip. That's what they said about Europe, as they were joining Europe country by country over the years. No, they weren't joining it. They were just forming closer ties. We're forging closer ties. That was the term they used. We would allow them to be in partnership with our assets. Oh, that sounds nice, partnership with our assets, including the National Indoor Arena, the Symphony Hall, the ICC International Convention Center, and the NEC, would be said. The NEC group, which is wholly owned by the council and includes venues such as the INA, the NIA, and ICC, as well as the main exhibition center, has fixed assets worth about £750 million, according to pre-credit crisis valuations. So the NEC made an, op- an operating profit of almost £30 million last year on revenues of £110 million. So this is the, what they're doing now. They've already sold parts of England off to other companies as well. And this will continue. The idea, remember, is to demolish any memory of having a country until you're sort of wandering around wondering what you are and nothing, nothing to relate to and no past or anything else. That's all part of it too. And it's working very well. And then you go to Ireland. Ireland's doing the same thing. It says here, um, the Irish government is so hard up for cash 
that is considering auctioning off national assets like state lands, buildings, state agencies and other valuables that belong to the Irish people. It's kind of like the money you put in the bank and you think it belongs to you. The government says that the money is needed to support economic growth and employment. When the cash for a sale of these assets is spent, but what then? The state will still have no money and its assets will then be in private hands. The inherent wealth of the citizens of Ireland will have passed to the super-rich, a small class of people who already own most of the wealth of the island. The thrift, uh, travail and sacrifice of previous generations that paid to have all these infrastructure put up will be casually tossed aside. Well, that's the history that that I've seen even in Scotland too. Um, uh, That's what they've been doing for years. Uh, That's the big con game of using your money and pretending it's still yours to make your facilities to serve you. It's all a big con game. And it's uh, it's great because the big boys don't have to put any money in for for research development or or all that kind of stuff as the stuff's getting set up, like pipelines and gas supplies and so on. Wonderful, isn't it? And when was this all planned, all of this ability for foreigners to come in and buy up your assets? It was in the 1990s. And uh, they had the setting in France for it. It was highly hush-hush. The CBC Canada did a little documentary on it. Uh, no outsiders were allowed to get inside. And that's when they set up this system where any foreign company can come in and basically buy up anything they wanted from any other country. If you tried to stop them um, by any bylaw or whatever, uh, they could fine the, the, the governments, which is you lot, and you pay millions of dollars in fines. That's already happened too, by the way. It's, already been, it's amazing. We're nothing but slaves. Nothing, nothing but slaves. Quite something. And folk don't know it. Still think they're free. Still go and vote. <laughs> and the Dutch too, this is quite interesting. There's an article about Holland. The Dutch cabinet, that's their parliamentary system, cut spending in 2011 and there's more to come. So they're cutting back on government workers and health care, of course. And it says more austerity is coming. Uh, this is like something out of a Hollywood movie. It says, you understand, this is the 21st century. It says, the Netherlands Queen uh, and the outgoing Prime Minister presented an austere annual budget on Tuesday that cut spending on health care, immigrants and government workers, a foretaste of more far-reaching cuts likely to come under the Conservative cabinets now being formed. At the start of an afternoon full of ceremonies, they love ceremonies, big ones, don't they? Rituals, lots of rituals, Masonic rituals that go way, way back and long before you heard of Pike and these characters. And conspicuous hats, you know, because they're very wealthy and they have to show off their hats and stuff. Queen Beatrix rode through the streets of The Hague in her gold-trimmed horse carriage, uh, waving to thousands of fans who lined the route leading to the 13th century Hall of Knights. That's where they held it, in the Hall of Knights. Very important place, Holland. Especially Orange, the area Orange, you know. And very, very important place. Uh, that was a hub, really, um, of the takeover into the new system, the, de- the demolition as well of Catholicism as they brought in a new system. And uh, things really took off from there. It says, in her speech to both Houses of Parliament, she outlined the government's plans for the year, despite the lack of a new cabinet 104 days after national elections. So... She read a text written, it says, written by outgoing Prime Minister Jan Peter uh, Balkenind, 
So even what she was reading was written for her by the previous prime minister who was outgoing. So they're going to start slashing back there uh, for austerity, understand. But they still have to also pay for nice cookers across the world and stuff like that and, and third world countries to make them what? To make them slaves to a system that we are already slavery. See, over in those countries, they know how to cook in a hundred ways you'd never imagine. They don't need cook stoves, a lot of them. They don't need to have canned calorie gas or propane gas or anything like that pumped into them. Once they're under the same system, that that's it. One generation passes, they don't know how to survive anymore. Seriously. Seriously. And this is known at the top too. We're here to help you. We're here to help you, they say. Quite something. And folk never catch on. And they're really, really pushing now into... Well, they're not pushing, put this with it, disclosing more to the public about DNA testing. However, they disclose to you as ancient, uh, and it's been ancient probably for about 50 years, but time would tell us about anything. But here, here's an article here, and I'll put a link up for this too. It says, we can build whatever animal you want to eat, say scientists. And this is from Australia. And this is, tinker with the genetics of salmon, and maybe you create a revolutionary new food source that could help the environment and feed the hungry. They, they tie the environment and everything, eh? Don't they, eh? And feed the hungry. You understand it as the constant. This is intentional. They're taught to put these wee things in here when they, when they write in all these articles. Or maybe you're, create, you're creating what some say is an untested frankenfish that could cause unknown allergic reactions and the eventual decimation of the wild salmon population. Never mind the, dec- the decimation of those with allergies to it. They would die with it. Never mind the bioengineering that goes on in the human body once you've eaten the stuff. It says the U.S. Food and Drug Administration hears both arguments this week when it begins a two-day meeting on whether to approve the marketing of the genetically engineered fish which would be the first such animal approved for human consumption. They're already doing it in other countries. You know. The agency has already said that the salmon, which grows twice as fast as conventional salmon, is as safe to eat as a traditional variety. Approval of the salmon would open the door for a variety of other genetically engineered animals, including an environmentally friendly pig. Well, you wouldn't want to kill that, would you? That's being developed in Canada or cattle that are resistant to mad cow disease. That's because they're away from cities and stuff like that, you know. It says, uh, for future applications out there, the sky's the limit, David Edwards of the Biotechnology Industry Association said. If you, if you can imagine it, science, scientists can try to do it, it says. So Aqua Bounty, this company that's making this thing, sounds fishy to me, but it says, submitted its first application for FDA approval in 1995. But the agency decided not until two years ago to consider applications for genetically engineered animals, a move seen as a breakthrough by the biotechnology industry. Now, Holland's are way ahead of this stuff. Anyway, Holland's doing the same thing, but they're, they're breeding, they're growing tissue and tanks that they hope to sell to the public. But they say it's awful kind of mushy at the moment. It doesn't have the texture that, that uh, real, say, beef would have. Genetic engineering is already widely used for crops. It's amazing too, Monsanto, the main Monsanto um, station in the US won't eat their own stuff on, from their cafeteria. They brought in a, the cafeteria and told them that they'd only eat organic stuff only. They won't eat the stuff they make. <laughs> what does that tell you? 
So genetic engineering is already readily used for crops, but the U.S. government until now has not considered allowing the consumption of modified animals. Although the potential benefits and profits are huge, many individuals have qualms about manipulating the genetic code of other living creatures. Never mind the fact, once these things get loose, and they do get loose, by the way, we found out in Canada, they get into the, 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 the normal stream of things, of uh, the normal fish, and we haven't seen the full outcome of that yet. We don't know what it's going to be yet with these monsters out there, you know. It says, um, clones are copies of an animal with, a, with GE animals. Their DNA has been altered to produce a desirable characteristic. In the case of the salmon, aqua bounties added a growth hormone from a Chinook salmon that allows the fish to produce their growth hormone all year long. It's kind of like they did with the cattle with the lactating hormone. The engineers were able to keep the hormone active by using another gene from an eel-like fish called an ocean pout that acts like an on switch for the hormone according to the company. I wonder what else it does. Conventional salmon only produce the growth hormone some of the time, which would be normal. And documents released ahead of the hearing, the FDA said there was no biologically uh, relevant differences between the engineered salmon and conventional salmon, and there is a reasonable certainty of no harm from its consumption. Really, you understand how long it would take to observe humans down the road to see what had done to them? Critics have two main concerns, the safety of the food to humans and the salmon's effect on the environment. And it says, because the altered fish has never been eaten before, they say it could include dangerous allergens, especially because seafood is highly allergenic. It's also the fact they use an E. coli uh, bacterium, a specially created type of E. coli that's been altered itself. They attach the new DNA into, onto this and they literally uh, infuse it into the fish, into the, t- the, the tissue of the fish, uh, and the E. coli carries it deeper. And guess what happens? The E. coli stays there. Then you eat it. Well, if it's meant to alter the fish, what's it doing to you? If this darn thing is live inside you. Hmm. But that doesn't matter, does it? We're all dying of cancers now, eh? Because of all the, the high lifestyle we live and all that kind of stuff. And all the, 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 the uh, Monsanto's uh, Roundup Ready that we're absorbing with all the, the, the crap they feed us for grain, etc., so we don't have to worry about that too much. But so they're really going ahead at it. And then you go into this article here where DNA is all the rage right now, you see. And everything is about predictability, predicting how people are, predicting how you behave. The Pentagon's at it. They have a clone of you, basically, in the little cyber world where they update it with the, your mute latest data, feed it problems to see how you would re- behave in reality. And they observe it. Well, they're doing the same thing with DNA. If they could only program your DNA, they could find out, you see, if they could stop people like this getting born like psychopaths, you see. But it's only for violent psychopaths. I wouldn't mind so much if they came out with a test for the psychopaths who wear the big business suits and are not violent like that. They get, other, other, they get armies to go off and do their battles for them when they want to steal land and stuff. The real guys. So here you go, a Finnish researcher wants DNA tests on convicted psychopaths. A simple genetic test can help predict whether psychopaths convicted of violent crimes are prone to be repeat offenders, a Finnish researcher said Tuesday. It's long been known that there is a biological, a genetic element to psychotic tendencies, said Helsinki University researcher Matti Vakunen 
who co-authored a study published in Psychiatric Research. They won't be happy and they can try and predict all of us and say, yep, this one should get born, that one shouldn't get born. This is what it's coming down to. The research which was a joint Finnish-American project showed that convicts who scored high on both a traditional behavioral disorder test and had a certain gene variance were far more likely to commit additional violent crimes than those who scored high on the test but did not have the same gene variance. The study followed 167 convicts for seven years after they were released from prison. All of the subjects had been convicted of aggravated violent crimes, were alcoholic, and had scores high enough on the assessment test to rate them as psychopathic. They were also genetically tested to show a particular variance of a gene called monoamine oxidase. It's quite interesting, monoamine oxidase, because most of the real big antidepressants um, inhibited the monoamine oxidase, which kind of makes you feel kind of happy, I guess. Or who knows, vice versa. Back with more after these messages, as we'll get tampered with with science. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. You know, we're, it's, we're meant to go through all this craziness at this time now. It's, that's why this is all coming forward at this time. What they're doing now is some, are things really that they've been working on maybe for the last 50 years or even before that. Because they always knew where they were going. You've got to read Brave New Worlds, books like that written in the 1930s. You couldn't dream that stuff up because these guys were already in on think tanks, these authors. And they knew where they were going with genetic modification and, and creating new types of people and better people and taking out genes and making them all placid and so on. Uh, right down to the two uh, eugenics, having a higher class of better alpha types, even alpha pluses. And then you have your, your betas and your thetas and so on. And the ones at the bottom are kept pretty stupid to do the menial tasks, not too bright so they don't mind and that kind of stuff. Uh, that was all in Brave New Worlds. And pretty well everything else I've read has been in old novels as well. And now it's in the mainstream as fact. Not because they've got good imaginations, it's because these authors are picked to put this stuff out. Anyway, here's an article here too. Just, just to make you more confused, you see, is it, I can remember a time if you were asked these questions, you would have left the, an office in an awful mess, including the person who asked you them. But if you can go for a job now, it says, what do you think made you become a heterosexual? Just one of the bizarre questions council chiefs are asking staff on diversity course. Oh, diversity, you know. And this is 19th of September, and it's mail online. Town hall bosses are asking staff to take part in a heterosexuality quiz so they can gain a greater understanding of what it's like to be gay. I can remember when they started that with with, uh, putting blindfolds on you and making you stumble around a classroom to let you know what it was like to be blind, you know. Oh, there's actually a technique they're using here. There's actually a psychological technique which they use on you when they're doing all this stuff. The quiz devised by, devised by managers at Buckinghamshire County Council is part of an equality and diversity course called Respecting Sexuality. Uh, questions which are described as a twist on those routinely asked of homosexuals include, what do you think caused your heterosexuality? Is it possible your heterosexuality stems from a neurotic fear of others of the same sex? Ho, 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 it's amazing, eh? And if you've never slept with a person of the same sex, how do you know you wouldn't prefer it? By the way, this is the same stuff that's been taught in school for children. 
And when the children uh, don't really participate in the discussions, they're sent to little counselors. You always little guidance counselors that pretend that you're your parents. And um, that's what they say to them. How do you know unless you've tried it? You say you could be inhibited. Yeah. And here they're telling you, if you've never slept with a person in the same sex, how would you know you would prefer it? Hmm. The quiz devised by managers at Buckingham City Council is part of an equality and diversity course called Respecting Sexuality. Respecting Sexuality. Devised by managers at the Buckingham City Council is part of an equality and diversity course. And the course which encourages staff to have a better understanding of the challenges faced by lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender colleagues includes a film which follows the experience of four fictitious employees. So that's even get fictitious ones. Huh? The film is said to build an intensity that can provoke a, f- a variety of actions or reactions. Trainers note state initial reactions to the stories very widely, with heterosexual straight people often dismissing the stories as exaggerated or rare, and homosexual gay people immediately re- recognizing the issues and emotions explored here as honest and relevant. Why do you, why would you want to bring your problems, your personal problems into the workplace? And you realize this is about getting a job. Getting a job. What if you do such dressing and pretending you're something that you're not? Hmm? Disgusting. But that's what the world's come down to, isn't it? As we're all tampered with and remade, remodeled, brave new world, here we are. Only because you let it. And that's the bottom line, isn't it? From Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>